0: Outliers in Education is brought to you by CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Better data, better decisions, better schools. To find out more, visit effectiveness.org.
1: If you haven't caught the documentary Paper Tigers featuring Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Washington, well, please allow me to recommend it to you right now. On today's episode, we talk to the man who led that pioneering work, one of the original Outliers in Education. That's what we're all about in
0: letting our kids be successful. If you want to achieve something, then surround yourself with the people you want to become. Because kids are kids in small districts, rural districts, urban,
1: kids are kids. Hi, friends. Eric Price here, welcoming you to another episode of Outliers in Education. Now, as I've mentioned before, the premise of this podcast comes from a study published earlier this year by the Center for Educational Effectiveness that identifies key practices that are helping certain schools outpace all the rest, especially when it comes to elevating the educational experience for students of color and students facing poverty. But way back when the outlier study was but a twinkle in a researcher's eye, today's guest stood on the vanguard, leading the way with a new approach that recast schools not just as a place of learning, but as a place of healing. It's an approach we've come to call trauma-informed. And with me, as always, on the other mic is my good friend and longtime educator, Eric Bowles. Bowles, was trauma-informed
2: even in the vernacular as you were coming up in the teaching world? So when I started as a teacher, um... Basically, the only guidance we got was you needed three classroom expectations, positively stated, written someplace in the classroom. Uh, this is back in the 90s, been around a little while. Uh, and then we got a little training on the progressive discipline matrix, which was basically, you know, what can you do to kids when they misbehave on your way to hanging them by the toenails? So that was really pretty much all the training that uh, I think most of us received if, if uh, we started at that time. And what we learned that led to was really... Unfortunately, kind of a pipeline to prison. So as part of that zero tolerance movement, um, the kids that we disciplined really out of uh, the goodness of our hearts and best intentions uh, were the kids most likely to leave the system. And when they leave our system, they then unfortunately land in uh, other systems like the criminal justice system. So much like the uh, unfortunate uh, poor policy that we see at the federal level around uh, the standards based movement and high stakes testing, moving away from zero tolerance uh to a more restorative practice, including uh, trauma-informed under the umbrellas, uh, where we're now mandated to go by state statute, and I say it's more than time.
1: This is kind of my experience, Bulls. It was kind of like the wheel of misfortune when a kid came in through again, or the whack 'em and stack 'em philosophy.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Um, and you know. I think, I think many of us, because we didn't have any of this behavioral training, really didn't even examine the practice and certainly didn't realize that, that what we were doing, uh, again, from a place of best intentions was really detrimental to the kids who needed us the most.
1: Well, there was this one school in Walla Walla, Lincoln High, that was seeing improvements radical enough to catch the eye of documentary filmmaker Jamie Redford, son of the one and only Robert Redford, who brought his camera out to the Northwest to try and explain what was really going on And you know what he found out here in Northwest? He found our guest today, Jim Sporleader, former principal at Lincoln High, leading a team of educators as they pioneered their way to becoming a trauma-informed school. He retired his post in 2014, just before the documentary was released to national acclaim, in order to dedicate the next chapter of his life to helping other schools become trauma-informed. Here to help us understand what it's all about, let's give a warm welcome to Jim Sporleader. Jim, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. It's great to be with you guys today. Well,
1: we've got a lot of stuff I know to, to go through and to explain here. And starting with uh, an episode that we'd done before was Dr. Corey Callahar, um talking about going through this trauma-informed process and really going through the training that started with you. How does that make you feel when Corey comes out of conversations and time spent with you to go on to um, kind of spread this gospel to other places and other schools?
0: You know, we we, we have a national movement, the, the, uh, I call it the wave, the waves getting larger and larger, and it's sweeping more and more of the country. I see my role as, Hey, we're all on the same team and, uh, and we're here to support one another. We all bring our own gifts and talents to the, uh, movement. And so with Corey, uh, I'm very grateful for, for what he's doing. And also, uh, to support him and, and and to appreciate the contributions that he's making uh in his world
2: thanks for that jim so 33 years in education and like anything overnight success after 33 years of hard work uh shot to celebrity to some extent with uh, making the documentary uh, paper tigers what was that process like for you for, from being kind of small town school administrator to jim you're a big deal tell us about tell us about that process
0: well, you know, I got to be honest with you. Is I, I I I don't look at myself as a celebrity. Um, you know, for two thirds of my career, I was very, uh, I I I was very student focused, and uh, as a classroom teacher and as an administrator. But I was very traditional in my dis- discipline, uh, practices, and uh, just kind of what you guys were sharing. Uh, you know, when a kid came into my office, it was. You know, these are things we're not going to put up with in this building. And, that, you know, and I, I use that old traditional approach where we try to control behavior through fear. And so my transformation came uh, when I went to a, a conference and heard Dr. John Medina speak on toxic stress. And that's a term I had never heard about, uh, knew nothing about. And when he shared that kids were coming to our school, From these toxic environments, their home environments, and that the pain that they were bringing to school was being acted out in their behavior and in their uh, lack of performance, that to be able to counteract that, those kids needed a caring adult uh, in their lives. And uh, that turned me upside down. And that's what created the uh, change within me is that I realized that uh, I was punishing kids, I wasn't teaching kids. Back when we started, uh, you know, it was new stuff. It was all theory. Um, really, we were, we were the first school in the country to, to put it in action. And, uh, and at that time, I didn't even know that. So once I changed my practices to asking kids what, what was going on, asking them about where they were with their stress, um, they, they, they told me. And uh, I was just absolutely blown away with what they were experiencing and then being able to wrap that support around them. And, and, and I think the key thing for people to understand is, you know, Trauma-Informed kind of gets a bad rap in that uh, it's only for these trauma kids and, you know, we, we can't hold them accountable. And and that, it, I always say, if we're not holding them accountable, we're failing them because there's nobody at home teaching them about what it means to stay within the boundaries and uh they have absolutely no social cues when they come to us so that's a that, that's our opportunity to be that caring adult and to teach that to them and so when i started looking at discipline as a teachable moment that's when things started changing i gotta be honest with you there were times i would just inside to think oh my god i i would have had that kid suspended and out the door and And never would have heard the story of what was going on in their lives. I like to use the word trauma responsive it's more more action oriented but the consequence comes at the end of the conversation and so the but but it's a teachable moment and it's a connecting moment from the very first kid that I started that approach with uh it was just one after another started telling me what was going on in their lives, started telling the staff what was going on in their lives when we used this approach. That's what brought the uh, data that, 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 that brought the attention to our school. Can you tell us one of those stories?
2: Uh, you're in the middle of unpacking a situation. It's a discipline situation. All of a sudden, a kid opens up and it causes you, I'm sure, as a practitioner, to go a completely different direction. Uh, does Does a story with a particular child come to mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, when I first went over there, I had to do the whack and stack. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any knowledge of of trauma responsive, but I'm telling you, I my first two days there, I suspended twelve kids. So they they didn't they they didn't welcome me with a red carpet. I can tell you that. But school was out of control. Uh, to Be honest, with you, I didn't know if I was going to make it. It was that out of control and. Uh, the common response to ask anybody to do anything was the uh, F you, and uh, <laughs> so just trying to get on top of that. But, but I, the first kid that came in my office, uh, that had told a teacher to F off for three years, it was automatic three day suspension, and we're not going to talk to teachers that way, and we promise we'll never talk to you that way. And this kid came in and he was just super upset, and uh, I just Instead of start starting in on you know we're not going to put up with it, I just said, "Hey, Jared, it didn't sound like you. What's going on? You know what what caused you to tell the teacher to f off?" And he just started telling me how pissed off he was, and uh, and then and then he just says, "I don't know if I've told you before, there, but my dad has my dad's a drunk. He right. he's failed me all my life, and since I was a little kid, and he gave some examples of his dad." Uh, telling him that he was going to bring him over for a movie night and never showing up and going to take him and his friends to the Seahawk game, never showing up. And he says, I, I just hate, I hate my dad. And I, I made that choice never to trust him again. And he said, "Uh, but I, my dad called me this last week and said that on my birthday, he says, which is today, uh, he was going to sneak a car over, and park it in front of the house and for me to run and look out the drapes in the morning and my car would be there and he goes Doc, he goes I believed him I fell for it and he goes I got up this morning and no car and, and he goes he did it to me again and but why he's so upset about this he's actually coming down and uh he finally says to me he goes had nothing to do with the teacher. I shouldn't I shouldn't have told him to F off. I feel bad about it. I wanna I wanna apologize and, and I'll never forgive it. Uh as he was leaving my office and I told him, I said, Hey Jared, I'm not putting you out of school. We're gonna do discipline in school. And he goes, Thank you. So and, it wasn't
1: the issue with the teacher at all, just was what was happening at home. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And and he turned around and he said to me, spoiler, thanks for having a conversation with me. It really helped out. And uh. And I didn't have a conversation I was just res- <laughs> I was just responding I mean it did yeah. tell me yeah. these stories and I'm going, god Jared that I'm so sorry I mean that's not yeah. hurt and uh yeah uh yeah. from that from that day on with Jared and I because I mean he came in changed things yeah it, it yeah. was uh we started building a relationship and uh so it, it, it that became the pattern. it wasn't something like, oh, we unique. It became the pattern and it became the fuel that kept our fire burning inside to want to learn more. Jim,
1: I, I, you and I have known each other for a couple of decades now. And as a young administrator, I didn't know what to do. Um, and uh, and I remember I was at a middle school at the time and I was kind of in the whack and stack-em. And I, I asked you, I said, hey, what do you do in this situation? And you said, you know, Eric, I start with just asking them how they're doing. Before I even get to anything, I just sit them down and say, hey, what's going on with you? That changed my practice as a principal. So um, in that context, uh, if you were going to define to to somebody, hey, this is trauma responsive, um, what would that be? What would you say, like in a nutshell, this is trauma responsive practice?
0: First off, you know, when we talk about trauma responsive, being trauma informed, uh, it's a mind shift. And I call it the power of one. I I have to truly understand that the power of one caring adult, and the research is uh, profound in this, that one caring adult can can help a child who comes to us, a student that comes to us that feels hopelessness, uh, can't see past the day, and through a caring adult relationship, Uh, It models resilience, that resilience brings hope, and it's that resilience that launches a student forward. And uh, that's what I learned from this conference through a caring adult relationship. So if I understand the power of one, I want to be that one. And so I'm going to do what I got to do to become that caring adult in that student's life. And if one caring adult has that potential, then we as a staff talk about how can we put more positive interactions in this kid's day uh, to build those relationships that are, that, that are gonna set this kid up uh, for, a, for, a, for, for a positive outcome from their trauma versus living out what the ACE pyramid shows us, and that's pretty depressing.
2: My question related to that is you talk about building student resiliency, that uh, opening up those conversations, building relationships, the virtuous cycle that becomes... How did you set up a staff to be professionally and personally resilient? Obviously, when we're caring for kids that bring trauma to the table, um, we've got to be resilient, healthy adults. What are what are some things that you did for uh, your staff? You know, way back when you started, that you think back now and go, "Wow, th- that really made the ultimate difference."
0: Well, I, it, as as much as our kids need a caring adult relationship, we need to be caring adults amongst each other with our peers. So uh, as we were striving to be that for our kids, just a natural outcome of that was we strived to be that for each other. Now, if I was to tell you, we, I had a hundred percent, uh, support. I didn't, but I had the majority and it's just like me, as I kept experiencing these positive interactions with kids and I was just blown away. Uh, my teachers were having the same interactions and, uh, it just drew us together. Staff would check in on staff. You bring up a great question. It's very critical in that, you know, and when we first started, you know, we didn't talk so much about self-care to be honest with you. Now, I mean, I, I think it's critical that we're aware of of self-care because it's hard work, especially when we hear what these kids are going through, not to carry that within. And so we've got to have some kind of balance there. The, 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 the passion of wanting to be the power of one drives everything. It it becomes your culture. It's who you are versus what you do.
1: There are some people out there that I'm sure are like, just like I was, we are so accustomed to the way in which we have had this progressive discipline or we don't, that's like a scary, uh, bridge to walk over. If you've got an educator or an administrator out there that's like, I want to try it, but like, uh, I just don't know. I might be a little intimidated by it. What, what would you tell them?
0: Well, I mean, I I think the example that you give, Eric, is kind of that is a very common one, and and that's where we're trying to make it something that we that we do, and it's like I'm not sure I'm I, I I'm prepared to do this, or I can't add another thing to my plate. Where that's where I get the water gets muddy. It, it's it's not what we do. It's who we are, and so. It's when it becomes who I am, then it again, it drives everything I do and I'm modeling that and I'm sharing with staff. You know, Eric shared earlier, the pipeline, the prison, our, our disciplinary system in our schools, the traditional approach that we were all trained in, that we all practice is uh, failing horribly. And the research tells us that. The research is so compelling that I uh, told people you don't get a pass for disciplining kids in a traditional manner because it's so destructive. Because you know, you'll hear people say, well, that's not for me. Well, if it's not for you, we got to find a place for you because uh, we're hurting kids. We've got to break that cycle. And it's champions that are willing to take it on and the ones who do and are successful, their data, they're knocking it out of the park because it just comes naturally. I mean, I, I, I just saw kids flourish. And, uh, and the research will say that through a healthy caring adult relationship, kids of trauma will thrive in that type of environment. And, uh, these kids deserve it. You know, we, we label them on their behavior, we label them on what we expect of them versus looking at them as an opportunity to really connect, lead, teach, help, give them the skills, let them know about their regulation, give them give them strategies to regulate and, uh, and, and for us to model that. Uh, to me, it's a priceless gift. Wow, Jim. One of our good friends, Dr. Greg Benner, just put together
2: what we refer to here as the whole educator series. And when he talks about doing this work, he always says, you know, the the journey of a 1,000 steps really begins with just taking that first step. Um, You've written a book, uh, The Trauma-Informed School, that really lays out what what those steps might look like. What advice would you give an educator, both a teacher in the classroom uh, and a principal in a school? What advice would you give those educators as far as what is that first key step in that journey of a 1,000 in this process? When
0: I wrote the book, I, I... I've been a principal, you know, and and uh, and I've been on both sides. I've been on that traditional side, and then fortunately, I, I I I became trauma responsive. And uh, when I wrote the book, I wanted to write it in a way that shows simplistic approaches and simplistic systems that even in our how busy our days are, I, that a principal or even a teacher could read the book and say man, I can do that. And, and just tracking our data, very simple tools of tracking our data because we need to know how we're moving on this journey. When I'm training staff, I'm training them on the simplicity of it and I got to have their hearts. It's got to go through the heart to get to the head. That's always my goal. That drives the change within.
1: If you're going to say, hey, here's here's the... the Two or three things that I just think are have made this is why we should all be doing this with trauma uh, responsive or trauma informed practice. What would you say from that that heart perspective?
0: One, the, the, the 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 stress is coming from outside the school, and 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 it yes, it manifests itself in school. It can trigger at school, but the stress and that toxic buildup is coming from outside of the school and if we can understand that we can take our personal mirror and put it down and, and and work towards get finding out what are the root causes of that pain that the kid is demonstrating and of that behavior and and then that drives us to put support pieces in place as we hear the stories
1: not to take that behavior personally you mean
0: yeah yeah we, if you take it personally we we've just lost that opportunity for connections. In fact, if we use the fear approach of handling discipline, it creates a me against you situation versus if I'm using, if I look at discipline, like any other discipline, like reading any of the, uh, our electives, music, whatever, when we look at our class or, Classes as a discipline, we take kids where they're at and we want to move them forward. And I think we should look at student discipline in the same way. We take them where they're at and we're going to teach them and we're going to move them forward. And uh, I, I, I think it's that approach of knowing that uh, I have that opportunity to, to, to teach those skills and to teach those uh, and to provide those strategies to, to help them. Uh, and to, it helps calm the brain and when we move in this approach, we're creating safety and safety is what these kids need. I mean, they're coming from these horrific home uh, situations. They need a place to get their brain calmed down and we we can teach that and we can help them with that. You know, I, we're talking all this discipline stuff, but you know, when we get a kid's brain calmed down, then they're prepared to learn. When they're highly escalated it's physiologically impossible to take in new knowledge or right. problem solve so everything we want for these kids we can get through a positive adult relationship that teaches how to calm themselves and teach, and, and provides a strategy and we're modeling the resiliency that launches these kids forward
1: well, Jim, you've given us so much to, to think about. So thank you. That, that, that's huge. Bulls, how do you put this in a nutshell
2: for us? Um, I'm going to need two nutshells today, EP. So this summary may take a little longer than what you're uh, typically used to hearing. Uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to uh, Jim Sporlater's hometown. Uh, Walla Walla, Washington is a really incredible community. In fact, it's the town so nice. They named it twice. We we really talked on this journey going from policy-driven zero tolerance practices into moving to uh, restorative child-centered practices. Jim's aha was John Medina talking about toxic stress. I had a really similar aha about 2006, hearing from Jeff Sprague for the first time really talking about how you moved from in academics to these proactive uh, extra help steps for kids that needed more help in reading and math. And oh, by the way, that works in discipline as well. For me, it was the same kind of thing, Jim. It was like a lightning bolt went off, but I was a little ashamed, actually. I I hadn't thought about that before. Such an easy leap from those academic practices. Um, You just need somebody to tell you how to do it. Um, Love what you talked about around accountability. Um, Accountability can be love. It's all about teaching. Uh, And this this isn't some sort of avoidance practice. It requires a discipline, a data driven approach to make sure that we turn uh, kids around. Love the phrase uh, "trauma responsive" as opposed to "trauma informed." Just like the action orientation. I think we all appreciate action as opposed to passivity. Um, Loved what you talked about just in terms of hearing kids' stories uh, leads to building relationships, which creates a virtuous cycle, both for that child uh, and for the culture of the school. Um, And it's all about the power of one. And Jim said it several times, just want to reiterate, what we know is that one caring adult in a child's life changes uh, everything. And thank you, Jim, for making that become the culture where you were at. Love the uh, term flourish. We heard that in last episode's podcast with Aaron Jones talking about, um, gosh, you know, if we do this uh, work around dismantling racism, uh, dismantling other forms of oppression, we've all got the opportunity to flourish. So whether it's kids or adults, really looking at practices that do that. Adults are big 12-year-olds. We talked about that last time as well. I'm example number one. But uh, Jim talking about You got to get to the heart to get to the head. That's a practice that we, Mm -hmm. we know works with children. It also only works with adults. And finally want to quote the immortal Flea, there are really only two emotions. Um, Jim talked about discipline out of fear in our old zero tolerance ways. And in this new approach, it's really discipline out of love. So really, thank you, Jim. And thank you, Flea, for pointing out that we're moving from fear to the light of love. And thank you for helping us choose love today, Jim later
1: <laughs> That's right. Research based and we're quoting Flea. Thank you, Bulls. That's a fantastic wrap up. Jim, how'd we do on this one? It, it and that wrap up. Anything that you'd like to add as as we kind of end here today?
0: I, I just appreciate the advocacy that you're out there in front, uh, encouraging our colleagues and our peers that, hey, we, we can get the data that we want if, we're o- if we'll we open up to, to the mind shift that it takes put us on that journey. So thanks for what you guys are doing. Hey, you bet. Jim, where do we get a copy of your book? You can go to jimspoilerconsulting.com or you can go to Amazon and, and the book's there as well. Perfect. All right. Jim, thank you for
1: coming and sharing uh, your wisdom and your experience with us today.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
2: And listeners, we'd like to thank each of you for listening to today's episode of Outliers in Education. You can find this episode and more online at effectiveness.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Until next time.
0: you'd like to find out how to gather the data you need to help drive positive change in your school or district, take a moment to visit CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness, at effectiveness.org. Better data, better decisions, better schools. Effectiveness.org.